We all know there's a shortage of veterinary professionals out there. America, Britain, uh, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, seems to be anywhere in the, um, the English speaking world. It's certainly not everywhere around the world, but it's certainly anywhere in the world. And I have this theory, and it's called the bouncing balls theory, okay? So it goes like this. If you're a young vet coming out of veterinary practice and you go into your first job, one of two things can happen. Either you have a good experience, and if you do that, you stick. Um, and that's what's awesome, that's what we want. If you stick in your first job, your career trajectory is dramatically different. Uh, your experience is dramatically different than if you're one of those bouncing balls. Uh, if you don't stick, if you have a bad experience, boing, you bounce, and you bounce into your next experience. Uh, and if and you've got the same opportunity there, are you going to stick or is it not going to be a good fit? And again, you bounce. Now, I don't know how many times any one person can bounce, and that's that's clearly going to be related to their resilience, and it's going to be related to the level of experience that that you have. But it's not. It doesn't take a genius to work out that if you have one bad experience and it scars you, then another one. You've not got many bounces left before you bounce off the table, and the table. That's the career. That's the whole industry of general practice, okay? And, and that, I'm pretty sure, is exactly what's happening with a lot of our veterinary talent. That explains why we've got 50% plus people after five years, boing, 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 bouncing along, thinking veterinary medicine has not met their expectations. It explains why there's so much disengagement and unhappiness in the profession. I think. And the reason I think that is because when I interview people who are having success in their career and I ask them, what is it that's made your career different? That first job always comes up. Always. It's one of the constants in their career. So how do we not be a bouncy ball? Um, how, do you, how do you avoid this? And, and I think the most important thing, most, the, the, the reason people bounce, the why the, or the what this bounce is all about, is about that experience. So what does a good experience look like? What does a bad experience look like? Well, the difference seems to be support. Now we know from the graduate surveys that exist and there's multiple exist, some of them published, some of them private within companies. I've been privy enough to, to see lots of this information and we know that it's all about support. Um, clinical support in the form of having somebody to ask about cases and emotional support and career support in the form of having a mentor. If you've got those two things, um, and you have some form of quality where you can eat enough food to get your blood sugar level up, drink enough fluids not to dehydrate, get your rest, then you're, those three things alone, so those sort of, you know, those things that support your life, you know, the basics that often you don't get in veterinary practice, right? How many cups of tea did you make that you never drank? Um, that mentor and that clinical support, if you can have those three things, that's kind of what good looks like, okay? So that's, that's, that's kind of the first thing. Like that's what a good, a good bounce looks like or a good first job looks like. And if you get that, you're not going to bounce. You're going to stick. Now, it doesn't matter if you stick there forever, six months, 12 months, 18 months, two years, 10 years. What matters is that you, you get that quality that starts you on the pathway to growing safely. And as you grow, you start checking off the boxes of certainty. Yes, I can do this. Damn, I, I, I can now do surgery. I can do that neutering. I can perform an extraction so I'm not freaking out. 
your level of commitment, your level of belief in yourself, all of those things start going up when you get a catch, not a bounce, okay? Um, so, so what we need to do is, as practice owners is obviously provide that, but, but you're not practice owner, right? You're not, what, like a lot of you guys are not practice owners, you're associate doctors, and that's what I wanna to speak to you about today. I really wanna to speak to what things can you do to take ownership of your career? And there are four things, okay? There's four things I think, if you focus on these things, then I think you're in with a shot at uh, maximizing your chance of a, a catch, a solid landing, and minimizing your, your risk of a bounce. Uh, and so the first thing is, I think it's about being really clear about what you actually need and potentially what you want, okay? They're not always the same thing, right? Like what you want is one thing, what you need is another. And, and this is where people are getting confused because what you want is often about, you know, we get we get blindsided when we see people offering lots of money to join our practices. Like as a young vet, you can get a sign-on bonus coming out of college now, and that feels pretty good. But what you need, and you know what you need, because you tell everybody in surveys what you need, is support, is mentoring, um, is somebody to be able to bounce ideas off, is somebody able to pass a case on to when you're overwhelmed, is the structure in a job that gives you space to grow and to learn and to get that downtime away from clients. That's what you need. So just be, first of all, be very honest with yourself about what it is that you need and try not to get so focused on exactly what it is you want or at least make sure those things are aligned or it sort of makes sense to you. If those things are aligned, um, I think you stand a better chance. And that means you have to be honest with the people who are going to employ you, okay? If you're, if you're gonna, be, if you want, if you know what you need, you need to articulate that to the people who are looking to employ you. And that happens in the job interview stage. I think everybody needs to be more upfront and honest in the job interview stage. If we did that, we'd have far better outcomes. Because if I, as an employer, cannot meet, cannot deliver what it is you need as a, as a team member, then I'm just going to hurt you. I'm going to harm you. I'm going to break you. I'm going to be a bounce for you. And I, I, I can't speak for all employers here. I can only speak for my businesses, but I do not want that. I want you to come in and have a great time in my practice or whatever business it is we're working together, okay? So we need to have honest conversations with each other. And that kind of leads into point two. When you go for a job interview, and this is like the, the moment of truth, okay? Understand this about the job, the interview and the hiring process we have in place today. Mostly, you're writing a CV or a resume that's quite embellished, okay? We're all giving it the big one. We're all big upping ourselves, right? But if that puts you in a position where you're gonna be expected to do something and maybe you weren't 100% clear about how much support you needed, you're going to freak out. You're gonna move when you get put into that position from a position of growth opportunity into a panic opportunity. And we know when you get into panic, that's when all the negative thoughts, feelings, energies, emotions start coming from. So we need to avoid that. How do we avoid that? Well, first of all, by being really honest in our, our resumes. And secondly, for us as practice owners, we have to be honest in our job ads about what we can offer you. If we, as practice owners, are writing things that are not true, 
or are unlikely to come true, like, yeah, we'll totally mentor you every single day, or we'll be there for you when you need us. But in actual fact, what we mean is we'll be in an operating theater for six hours of a day where we cannot come out and we can't actually speak to you because we're so zoned in on this thing, or we're gonna be on the golf course. Um, and we kinda need to be straightforward and honest about that as well. Now, how do you know if you've walked into one of those practices? Because let's be completely upfront, because we're not being terribly honest, just because I said it on a Facebook video or a conference doesn't mean suddenly everybody's gonna go, hallelujah, let's all be honest now, right? It's not gonna happen. So how can you, how can you interview somebody like in reverse? Because remember, you're interviewing the practice that you're going to work at as much as they're interviewing you. So a couple of tips for you. You have to understand values, okay? If you work at a practice that has got values that are roughly the same as yours, they don't have to be exact, but the more accurately overlap with yours they are, the better then you're gonna be working with what we call like-minded people, okay? So understanding your own values matter. Number two, you have to have a checklist of things that are really important to you. So how do you make that checklist? How do you even work that out? Well, just answer yourself the question. What's the most important thing about this next job I take? And write it down. Okay, what's the next most important thing about this job I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about getting? Write it down. What's the next most important thing? And you kind of want a list that, that you then have, let's say you've got 10 things on it. Which of those things are non-negotiables? If you do not have this thing, you will be freaking miserable. Right? Underline those things. They're the things you have to not just ask about, but convince yourself that the answer to that is a solid yes. I'm gonna get that here. Okay, so you wanna ask, the practice owner. And you don't say, hey, are you gonna look after me and give me lots of mentoring? Because of course they're gonna say, sure, because they're desperate to get you in the door because all practices are running short of clinical staff right now. So you don't, you don't ask a question that's an easy answer like that and you certainly don't take it at face value. You ask questions more like, and this is a good way to phrase it, can you tell me about a time when you were mentoring somebody and, and what that looked like? Okay, so, so that's getting them to connect to a real situation and tell you more detail, okay? And um, you ask them for a reference. Hey, um, would you be willing to share me the name of somebody you've mentored successfully so I can have a chat with them? Maybe you'll tell them about, can you tell me about some of the struggles you've had implementing a mentoring program? What have been the challenges? Um, and you, you, if you ask questions like that, you're getting them to reference real life um, you're far, far more likely to get a better fit when they start answering questions like that. And this is where, you know, for practices, I'm not always 100% sure that references are, you know, a super important tool. Um, and I say that because you have to be careful about who you're asking and, and what their uh, intention is or what their feelings toward that practice is. So if somebody's had a bad experience, but it was just a truly bad fit and everybody else has a great experience, you could get a very different answer that's not gonna be reflective of what your experience is gonna be. So you have to bear that in mind and, and sort of get a sense of what their overall feeling towards the clinic is. But ask the clinic to give you, and, and again, don't trust just one person, ask them for a couple of people. Um, you know, okay, so that's one way you can interview them. Now, the other way is hang out with the team, never just show up for the hour or two hours of the interview. 
set aside a day in your schedule and ask to hang out with them. You will you know, look between the lines. How does this team communicate with each other? Look for somebody else having a problem and look at what level of support they get on the day. Now, you can't possibly assess whether a practice does everything this way every other day. But if you start seeing bad things, toxic things, people blaming each other or bitching at each other when they're all meant to be on their best behavior, I think that wouldn't be a great sign, right? So I think that's another way you can do that. And then the last way you can do that is cyber stalk their butts, okay? If they're saying they're like this fun, happy, great place, where's the evidence of that? If they're saying like, we celebrate our team, they're our most important asset. Well, is that showing up in what they're saying on their Instagram and their Facebook feed? Are they really celebrating the team? Do the team look like they're having fun together? They will be putting out some of their brand, consciously or otherwise, onto social. They'll be projecting the culture of that practice. So check it out. See what's going on there. Okay. Um, step number three, third thing that you can do to try not to be a bouncing ball is just be very specific about what good looks like three years from now and lay it out. Okay. If I join your practice, my expectation is that I will be, um, let's say I will complete an advanced training certificate of some kind. I will complete certain numbers of, of hours in CE and I would like to be proficient at X, Y, and Z. Too many people are drifting along in their careers expecting you know, practices to take ownership of that. And, and that's just not going to happen. The only person that's going to take real ownership of your career is you. And it's not somebody else's job to do that. It's your job to do that. It's your practice's job to help you get there. A good leader will recognize that, okay? Now, that means your career objectives should be fulfillable at a practice you want to go to. So if you want to be a vet who works in exotics or who works with, um, let's say, alternative medicines, and you're going to have very traditional, might be high quality, but a much more traditionally focused practice where surgery is a big emphasis, then you're probably going to start coming into some conflict because they may not have interest in investing in you. Uh, it would just be a bad fit from the start. Now, why would that happen? It sounds like a ridiculous thing. It might happen because you're a charming person. You seem like a good fit. Um, and, 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 and you know, you're a nice human being and there's a shortage of veterinary clinical staff around just now. So they might be tempted to say yes and fit you into their shape box. But you ain't square, you're circular, right? So you're not gonna fit. Or there's, you might fit a bit, but there's gonna be bits of you left unfulfilled. That's gonna show up, right? And it's gonna show up as you being frustrated, them being frustrated. And yeah, I, I, I just think that's, that's a crazy thing. So be, be specific, have goals, have objectives. And objectives, they're specific, they're measurable, they're achievable, they're relevant to you and the practice, and they have a time limit on them, right? So do that, have that. Most vets don't. If I sit down and ask a vet, where do you see yourself in five years? It's one of the worst questions I could ever ask because I'm gonna get some made up BS, right? But what I really want is a vet coming to me going, this is where I'd like to be in five years. Are you able to help me get there? Because if you are, 
we can go on a journey and we can win together. And if you're not, no hard feelings, but I'm going to find some place that does. Okay. The answer isn't, the answer isn't veterinary medicine's broken. So if I can't, if, if I, if I can't find my home, if this sucks, I'm just going to go work as a locum or relief vet because if it's going to suck, I might as well get paid a little more. Well, let me tell you where that ends. You still have a job you don't like. You're not forming meaningful relationships with clients, with people. And if those things matter to you, like they matter to most people, you're missing out on a huge opportunity, right? And I know locuming really fit can be financially rewarding, but so can working in general practice if you build trust, if you build your skill set up to be able to productively engage those people that you're, you're, you're serving, those clients, you can find a job and make a job by negotiating a really good salary based on your production. You can negotiate a job where you can get everything that you need, okay? Some stability, um, some financial incentives, um, and that client base that shows up and knows you and trusts you. Let me tell you, veterinary medicine is just so much easier when people trust you and so much more fun. When you're that, like if, if, if I'm Uncle Dave to a family, this is just a different game entirely to if I'm the stranger they've never met before, okay? So fourth point and last point is you have to hold your practice accountable um, and own your future. So let's say a practice has promised you mentoring. And let's say you get the typical Friday afternoon thing that happens. You've got your meeting scheduled, and never schedule a mentoring meeting on Friday. Like, you know why? Because it goes freaky and crazy and you can't do anything um, except handle the, the clinical deluge that always seems to happen on a Friday. But let's say you've scheduled your meeting on a good time, on a, a slower day, on like a Wednesday or something like that. But lo and behold, the veterinary gods do not take pity on you. And what happens is the emergency walks in off the street, the collapsed dog, the collapsed cat, right when you and your boss were going to sit down and have that hour of mentoring. And so the urgent overtakes the uh, important and the meeting gets postponed, right? The meeting gets postponed. So when do you reschedule it? Do you just let it go? Do you just forget it? Well, that's what mostly happens. It doesn't happen, right? You take accountability. Even if your boss doesn't reschedule it, you must take responsibility for that. You're responsible for your career. Yes, your boss should reschedule it, but they don't always. It's not because they're bad people. It's because they forget. It's because they're people people, right? Um, and because clinical work is fun to us vets. It's the urgent. But I'm telling you, these meetings are so important, right? You can't show up. You can't answer in surveys. I want mentoring. I want support. And then not hold people accountable for getting it. Get after what you want. Don't sit back and be passive waiting for it to happen or you'll be waiting for a really long time or you'll go boing, 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 splat, and then you're gone. And we need to retain people so much better because how many of, how many of you are out there working in a practice where you're down a vet? What does that look like for you? Are you down a whole 20% of clients as well? No, you're just all doing the extra work. Okay, that's, 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 asking for burnout, okay? So if you're a practice owner, we gotta make those meetings happen and, and mentor and support our people so, so they get what they need and they get better and they get confident. And if you're 
an associate or an assistant veterinarian, then you have to get space in the diary to do that. And all of us have to be a little bit forgiving when veterinary medicine gets in the way a bit, because it does from time to time. All right. So there you go. I've introduced the little bouncing ball theory that I have, what it is and why it happens. And I've given you four ways. So be honest about what you, you're looking for with the practice, interview them, set goals and be specific and own those goals. And then hold your practice accountable for the mentoring meetings, which doesn't mean be a douche. <laughs> we can do all of this by being really nice human beings. It means just get what you need. Take ownership of that. And I think if you do that, um, you might have a little bit of a different experience. Now, if you would like your question answered, then the way to go about doing that is to record your own little video clip that you don't mind us using, because um, we will make you famous as well, but send in your video question, or you can send in on Instagram, or Twitter, or email it, or DM it, whatever. Send your question in. It's got to be about veterinary business, veterinary life, your career, what's going on with you. But ask a question that you think I can add some value back for you. And I would love to give you an answer on this show. And if you do send it in and we use your question, you'll receive a signed copy of So You're a Vet and I Want. And my eternal gratitude and some notoriety by being on the show. So don't be shy. Step up and send in your questions. Thanks for listening or watching. Uh, be safe, be well, be happy. Dr. Dave, out.